Women of a Certain Age podcast, and I'm your host, Ruth Savile. Amongst many other things, I am an entrepreneur and a coach. This podcast is going to be a place where women's stories are told, amplified and explored. I think stories help us make sense of the world, and although as I move into my mid-40s, I am more certain about who I am and what I want than ever before there is still plenty of stuff that I am uncertain about. So this podcast is about celebrating women, telling their stories and giving a real honest perspective on how things are when you reach a certain age. So here it is, the second episode. Thank you so much to everyone who took the time to listen to the first episode. It was great to hear your feedback and to know that so many of you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe and review the podcast on whatever platform you use, as that will really help with visibility moving forward. Now, without further ado, I shall introduce my next guest. Today's episode is with Ruth Richards. We actually met when we were both doing our coach training. We quickly bonded over our love of animal print and I was really drawn to Ruth's down-to-earth attitude and gorgeous smile. Ruth has worked as a marketing director for several well-known charities and she's now an executive coach and facilitator. This is such a relaxed and thoughtful conversation, full of insights, ideas and practical tips. I also offer Ruth a gin but she declines because it's 11 o'clock, which was a shame because I thought we were going to be friends. Anyway, sit back, grab a drink, perhaps even a G&T, and enjoy. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. <laughs> Great name. It is, isn't it? Have you noticed how it is only, I only ever meet Ruths of our age? I never meet younger Ruths. No. I feel it's one of those names that's dying out. I started working at a hotel when I was at university and the chef found out that I was called Ruth and he wa- I walked in and he went, oh, I thought you'd be an old woman with a name like that. <laughs> okay. So. A bit rude. Yeah. But no, we don't see many Ruths anymore, but we, we are Ruths and we are here. And I've never met a Ruth I didn't like. So that's good. Hmm. I've not really thought about that. I don't can't <laughs> really remember. Oh no, I do know a Ruth. Yeah, and I like her, so that's good. Yeah, there you go. See, it's all good. Anyway, thanks for having a chat with me. Thank you for having me. Maybe you could just tell us your story, as long or as short as you want. My story. Um, I always think stories are interesting, aren't they? Because stories we tell ourselves, and stories are very simplistic sometimes what is my story um I always think I've had a fairly normal straightforward kind of life so I grew up in a luckily very stable happy family I went to university I spent my 20s not quite sure what I was doing but working it out as I went along um I spent about 20 years working in the charity sector uh, in marketing and comms roles, uh, gradually working my way up, um, which I really enjoyed. 
uh, really at that time felt very important I was making a difference with what I did um, so I did that through to my mid-30s um, at which point I made the decision to have children uh, for better or worse um, and now I have two children um, and then a few years back when I turned 40 and there was a pandemic you might have noticed it um, there was a moment where I think I realised that I wanted to change what I was doing. That in fact, there was a real shift, both because of my personal circumstances, maybe what was going on in the world as well. So I retrained as a coach, which is obviously where we met. Um, and now I work as a, as a coach. I do facilitation as well and balance that alongside dealing with two young boys. Amazing. So you said you think you've had a normal life. What does that mean? What's normal? That's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's hard, isn't it? Because I think there is that, there's always that sense, isn't it? Like when you're younger, I think you feel like there should be something more, some great point to it all. And I think as I've got older, I've kind of realised that maybe I'm not going to change the world and I'm not the centre of the universe and that's okay so I think I've been very lucky I often think that I've been very very lucky in my life I've not faced any great difficulties I guess there have definitely been difficult times but I've been lucky to always have a lot of good support around me maybe we all live normal lives what is an what is a non-normal life that's probably a better question mm. so you're kind of defining a normal life because you feel that you've not faced great hardships maybe even great luck I think you know I'm just I've not I'm not the heir to a fortune I've not won the lottery okay. I think most of us live a normal life and that's okay normal ups and downs normal peaks and troughs yeah you said that when you in your 20s you thought there was something more and what was the great point to it everything yeah. but you don't feel that way now I think one of the things about getting older, because I was thinking about this knowing that I'd be talking to you today, is that you gain a lot of perspective, don't you? I think there's that sense of time passing and seeing like the scope of things and actually that when I was in my 20s, I think I had a lot of feeling like I needed to achieve everything straight away or I needed to be everything straight away or that I was always putting pressure on myself to be something I wasn't or something that I wasn't yet. Um, and, and generally that would usually make me quite unhappy, I think. Whereas I think you, as you get older, you're better able to kind of notice and look back and see that things ebb and flow and things peak and trough and that there are times in your life that are more difficult, but then they do tend to pass. And sort of, you know, if I was, something was challenging in my 20s, it felt like it was going to be challenging forever. Mm. Whereas now, if something's challenging, there is normally something in the back of my mind that says it'll probably be okay in the end. Things tend to pass through, even even the most difficult stuff will mm. look quite different in a year or two's time. And a year or two isn't as long as it felt when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. It just made me think of a conversation I had with my son the other day about life and career and what he wants to do and he was like yeah but what if I do it and I don't like it then I've wasted two years or I've wasted a year and it's like 
what's wasting time like yeah I don't know it, it like it floored me a bit it's like well what's what's the schedule where where does that time wasting what's that about does that make any sense? Definitely. I mean, if I think if I look back, I, there's definitely choices I've made where, you know, career-wise, I have wasted a year in a job that wasn't right for me or that I didn't enjoy. Um, and I remember thinking this when I decided to to change careers, you know, what if it doesn't work out? And then you're like, well, yeah, then I'll do something else and maybe I've lost a couple of years. And that's not, it doesn't feel so much a couple of years, but certainly... To, to someone younger wasting a couple of years can feel a lot and also is it really wasted even you staying in it in a job that wasn't right for you for a year was that wasted see I look back now and I think no because I learned a lot about what was right for me and what wasn't right for me um and I definitely wouldn't walk into a job like that again so there's always learning isn't there but I think someone was saying to me because obviously you know I've got younger children and you know to explain to them that they have to wait a year till the next Christmas that's like <laughs> the longest time in the world that's like a fifth of his life though right that's a fifth of his entire life he's got to wait till the next Christmas of course it feels like forever whereas to me I'm like yeah a year doesn't you know in the grand scheme of things it's a lot shorter so I think you gain that and there's something quite freeing about that perspective I think and not mm. feeling like you have to do everything tomorrow anymore yeah I think you know I definitely when I was younger took on a lot of expectations I'm not you know partly for myself partly from the world around me of you know I've got to be earning this by the time I'm 30 or in this position by the time I'm 30 you know I'm a bit more like well life's about a lot more than necessarily the job title what we're doing Mm. what you're achieving so mm. I'm a bit, a bit calmer about it generally. Okay. So what is life about now then? If it's not about job titles and salaries. <laughs> <laughs> it's much more recognising the mix, isn't it? The mix of different things that you need. And I have a young family, which, you know, is, is, as, as you know, that's, that's a demanding time. That's important, giving that time and space you know, friends, family, social interaction, social connection, emotional connection, that's important. I need some sort of intellectual stimulus. I need to be doing something that interests me, that I value. Um, So my work does that for me. Also time to just kind of switch off. I think it's recognising that you need, I'm much more aware now of the balance I need in my life to stay happy in inverted commas or, you know, to feel content with what is around me. Whereas I think, you know, when I was younger, it was a bit more like, do this, grab this, do this, grab this. What more can I squeeze in? What more can I do? Uh, whereas these days I'm a bit more like, I only have 24 hours in a day and I kind of have to think a bit more about how I spend them. Yeah. And we've only got 4,000 weeks. 4,000, exactly. So that book was a very, that definitely shifted something in my thinking and it was quite freeing to think of it that way. So freeing. And for me, I haven't actually read all of the book yet, but I've listened to him talk a lot and read a lot of his other articles. Sorry, the book that we're talking about is 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. And what was freeing for me was the fact that he said, you're never going to get it all done. So stop waiting to get it all done until you start the thing. 
whatever that thing is, the podcast, (laughs) the painting, the play, it's not ever going to get done. So just start it. And for me, it was like I'd had a a weight lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, that bit really struck me. And the other bit that really struck me from the book was when you said that, um, talking about, you know, we can get very easily caught up in waiting for some point in the future when everything will be perfect. And I definitely used to do that a lot, you know, in five years time, have my own place. In five years time, I'll be a director. In five years time, it will all be perfect. Um, and it can it's much better to try and make the most of what you have now because if you're constantly working towards a point in the future when you think you'll be happy anything could happen between now and then you've really just got to focus on now you know it's all these things you you know them on a level but to be reminded of them and I'm someone who is obsessed with to-do lists and time and making the most of it I love like you know I I quite enjoy sitting down on a Sunday night and looking at my calendar for the week and being like, like, when am I going to do this? Where can I do this? When can I fit in this? But like I say, I I never fit it all in. Particularly the limitations of how much you can do when you've got a three-year-old in tow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting, actually, because the conversation I had last week for the podcast with somebody else, and it, it all came down to kind of not living in that I'll be happy when. And I think that book and Oliver Berkman as a whole speaks to that. And obviously just the fact that you get that context of 4,000 weeks. So let's argue that we're halfway through. So then we've only got 2,000 weeks. Crazy, like 2,000 weeks is nothing, is it? How quickly a week goes by. Yeah. So, yeah, I just loved that. And it kind of, it almost like it it gave me permission to not have to get my all my accounts up to date and the house tidy <laughs> and all my paperwork sifted through before I start a podcast. I don't have to do that. No. Obviously, I understand I'll have to do my accounts at some point and I will. <laughs> <laughs> but right now I'm having fun chatting with you on a podcast. There was something very freeing. I can't remember where I first came across it. I think it's probably around a lot when I was a new mum, but this this kind of sense of good enough is good enough. Um, and that was quite hard. I think definitely when I was younger, I was much more of a, a high achiever. I wanted to be, you know, really good at what I did. Um, I mean, I was never a complete finisher, let's, let's be honest, but I was, you know. Is that a thing? Are there people who are complete finishers? Oh my God, yes. And I need them around me because I am the worst. Um, but yeah. I didn't know those um, people existed. <laughs> yeah, I used to, I used to try and hire them at my team because I knew about. And then they'd always just be like, "Really, can you do this?" Um, but yeah, good enough is good enough, and I think that's a very strong. It's good when you. I think there's a lot more positive stuff about parenting around now than there than there maybe used to be, and this sort of strong kind of counterculture to the perfect mum thing of good enough is good enough. Um, but you can apply that to anything in your life. You know, good enough is good enough. I don't, you know, as long as the house is broadly hygienic, um, it doesn't need to be sparkling every day. Um, and, you know, you can be a good enough friend without being the person that checks in every day. You can do a good enough podcast without it, you know. Yeah. Having to be done on the the most expensive equipment or the most 
high-tech microphones and ring lights and all the rest of it I think good enough is good enough and yeah. I think there was something for me about the whole retraining starting as a coach and when I was thinking about launching the business noticing that I was getting caught up in a well, well I need to do this and I need to do that and do I need to have this ready and do I need to have that ready and actually just being like no I just need to make a website in an hour and a half and put something on social media and see what happens and absolutely I have refined and developed and got a much better sense as I've gone along of what I'm doing and what I want to specialize in and how I want to be and developing as a coach but you could just stymie yourself never actually Mm -hmm. launching couldn't you yeah I love that you said good enough is good enough like that has been my mum's advice forever just always listen to your mum always and also it's so interesting because like when we met on our coaching course like we were kind of drawn together with that sort of vibe, I think. Like, and I knew that you were my kind of person and similar kind of parent. Obviously, my boys are older. And it's just so interesting that that's been your kind of mantra in the same way it's been mine without us even knowing it. (laughs) It's such a good one. I do try and, like, keep it. Often when I recognise my own spiralling and my own catastrophizing and all those things that we do, um, that is what I have to pull myself back with. Mm. Good enough is good enough. Um, because nobody's perfect. Yeah, because good enough is good enough is also the same as done is better than perfect, isn't it? Or don't let perfectionism be the enemy of progress, is it? Or something like that. Something like that. There's something about momentum and movement and recognizing for me that in terms of like managing my mental health um, because in my 20s I definitely did have sort of depression anxiety you know it was it was difficult recognizing for me there's something about momentum and if I feel myself starting to to feel low or to spiral into anxiety doing something will always move me out of that even doing something badly um, because I need to feel like I am moving forward mm. and maybe you're not doing it badly maybe you just did it yeah how bad is bad as well like there's that sort of classic coaching question isn't there what's the worst that could happen mm. what are you afraid of so yeah I do. what is the worst that could happen so you've said quite a few things and I'm like oh where do we go so at the start you said like in your 20s 30s you were really fixed on not fixed on you wanted to make a difference Mm. so what does that mean and how has that changed if it has changed it has changed I think I worked I worked in the charity sector so I worked on causes that mattered to me I spent a long time working um I worked at Mind in a really it was it felt like a really I was gonna say special is that the right word yeah it felt like a very special time to work there um, because it was sort of during a time that we were really making a shift. So when I joined, if I told people where I worked, I had to explain it. Mental health was not something that people talked about. Um, I'd had my own experience and had a bit of talking therapy and that had really helped. Um, but it wasn't ever on the scale of the, the people that we were supporting. And the understanding of that was very low. 
Um, and Sorry, I, what year was this? So I started there in 2010. Yeah, okay. So a lot has shifted since then, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We were still in the time then of like, you know, bonkers Bruno locked up, you know, those sort of headlines. Um, and yeah, so I was there about six, seven years and it really felt like there was so much progress. We were really moving stuff forward. We were really managing to shift that conversation. And obviously I was part of the team doing that and there were lots of brilliant, smart people I was working with. But yeah, it was nice to go into work and feel like what you were doing was contributing to a bigger picture and something that I really cared about. Um, and that was brilliant. And I worked in other charities too that I really cared about the cause and wanted to move that forward. You know, I spent in my 20s, I worked for charity which supported foster carers and that felt very, very important. So that always mattered to me, that kind of, you know, I was, you know, you're young and idealistic. It, it mattered to me that I was changing the world, I guess, and shifting. And I think what has changed for me in the past five six years which is probably very related to being a parent maybe getting a bit older is I'm much more interested now in making a difference for individuals and that kind of difference that you can make on a much more micro scale so Mm. if I coach somebody and they come out of it at the end and they feel better that's that's that feels to me now as important as you know big organizational change and yeah I think yes, <clears throat> trying, trying to find a good example but you know like raising awareness of mental health by a certain number of percentage points on the general public the sort of stuff we were measuring it feels I would say even more powerful because it's so much more personal mm. to, to make that shift for an individual um and to think you know like obviously with your children you're constantly shaping their experience of the world um if you can you know make make someone you know feel better on a day by sending them a message or having a coffee or you know doing something for them I value now those little day-to-day interactions and the way that we impact on each other as individuals and the world that we live in a lot more maybe than I did and I think you know societal change is still needed and take we all still need to change the world and I think the people who are working on that are amazing and fantastic um, and I support them as I can but yes part of that sort of I want to say is it, is it your, your world gets a bit smaller maybe maybe our worlds have got smaller I've you know in the combination of having young children and being in the middle of the pandemic has meant my world definitely got a bit smaller in the last few years um but seeing the power of how you can impact an individual has been really valuable <clears throat> to me I think mm. do you I mean as a coach I'd imagine you feel the same yeah and I also think it's then those ripples so then that person that we've been working with that person we've been coaching then goes out and spreads that stuff in whatever way whether it's living a more positive life whether it's changing the way they look at things improving their work-life balance so then that has the knock-on effect with their families like the ripples are just I think are never-ending basically you are still changing the world just in a different way I think one other change that I have noticed in myself as I've got older and it's part of that perspective piece is that I'm so much more tolerant of other people and much less likely to judge other people and I kind of I do genuinely believe that most people there's um an NLP 
presupposition that you know everyone is doing the best they can with the resources available to them and I do genuinely as I get older you know try and start from that point of like everyone is just doing what makes sense to them the best they can and it's coming normally from a place there's very few people who are evil sociopathic narcissists um we might see a lot of them because they're in our media a lot but there's not many of them in real life (laughs) and I think even people who you know you passionately disagree with if you engage with where they're coming from and what they understand that there is most people are decent on a on a level and as I get older and more tolerant and listen to people more I have learned you learn a lot you you know you might not change your views and you might not change their views but you learn something about people and how they interact um so that has also really been beneficial I see the world much less black and white than I did when I was younger as always I'm banging on about Brené Brown again I think she talks about her husband who's a paediatrician and he said to her one day what if people are just doing their best and at first she was like fuck they are (laughs) (laughs) but when you come at the world from that perspective life is so much easier all of a sudden it helps you treat people better. It helps you treat yourself better. Yeah, for me, it was just like, oh, yeah. If I if I assume that everybody is doing, trying to do their best, then life's easier. It's, it's such a strong thing. I, yes, I remember there's the NLP piece and then uh, Brené Brown doesn't usually talk about the assumption of positive intent, I think she calls it. Oh, so, yeah, right, it's okay. assuming that everyone is doing the best they can I just think it's yeah it, it does really make things different even if you know, you're if you're having a conversation about politics and or someone says something you know might using Brexit as an example you know not people didn't it's but so simplistic and easy isn't it to dismiss it and the other side and say oh people voted for Brexit because they were racist people voted to remain because they're not patriotic or whatever. And that's just absolute rubbish. Like nobody who voted for Brexit would say, yes, I'm a racist. They would say, you know. Well, and they were told lies. Well, yeah. Or they, you know, they're taking the information they've got and they're they're making sense of it in a way that makes sense to them in, you know, maybe somewhere where it does feel like resources are scarce. Mm. Um, And you don't have to agree with them, but trying to understand where they're coming from. I get quite frustrated with, you know, you can spend a lot of time on social media with people dismissing people with different views to them as evil and wrong and bigoted. Mm. And I just think that's never going to be the way that we progress and talk to each other. So. But we don't want to get into that, do we? We do not want to get into that because <laughs> it's far too early. And I'm only on my second copy of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and I might need a glass of wine for that one. I was going to say, if we're going to do Brexit, there has to be why. <laughs> no, definitely. But I think there is that. Yeah, just trying to move through life with the assumption that everyone is doing the best they can with what is available to them. Mm. Makes you look at the world in a much kinder way. Yeah. It just makes it easier. I think that's the third time I've said it, but it totally does Mm. because you're then not assuming that people are trying to trip you up. People are trying to get one over on you. 
you know, you're not living in that story, like you said, that people are bad. Yeah. I found um, I was getting a bit caught up with this earlier in the year because obviously things are things are really hard at the moment. You know, we just had the pandemic. Um, there's a war in Europe, which is horrific. Um, you know, everyone's arguing with each other about everything at the moment. Um, and I was feeling quite like I just need to, to get away from all of this. And I read a book while I was on holiday um, called Humankind. Rutger Bergman, I think it's by. And it was just... I remember reading and thinking, yes, this is just making me feel better about the world because he basically, the, the argument he makes is that human beings are pretty decent and we evolved, you know, we were, before civilization, we were hunter-gatherers, but very social hunter-gatherers. And that was like what actually gave us the advantage maybe over Neanderthals or other species that it was all built on interacting with each other and building bonds with each other and sharing information um, and talking to each other and actually you know that all slightly started to go wrong when we became more civilized but at heart most people will help someone that needs help in the streets most people will stop um he debunked a lot of the old psychology experiments that kind of oh sorry so you know there's a lot of sort of psychology experiments that have been done over the years that prove that human beings are inherently selfish or bad people and he actually sort of went back and looked at them and picked them apart and looked at how the experiments were set up to kind of prove you know and what were the names of those there was the stanford prison experiment right is Um, that america yeah so they did an experiment where they took students and made some of them prisoners and some of them guards and over the course of the time it deteriorated to the point that you know the the guards were being so abusive to the prisoners they had to stop the experiment and it's often quoted as this example that, you know, power corrupts and humans will take an opportunity to pick on a weaker group when they're given it. But he sort of picked it apart in the book and looked at, you know, the, the briefings that the guards yeah. were given and the way it was set up was to kind of create this. Um, and again, there was an experiment where people were told to give other people electric shocks. And it's often used as proof that people will follow authority to hurt other people um but actually again when you go back and look at the transcripts most people were like no 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 I don't want to do this and had to be almost forced into it or sort of we're questioning the reality of they're not really getting shots are they um so it's interesting so it's a really good book I would definitely recommend it yeah the book sounds great and also those experiments sound fascinating and also like who decides who wants to do that like who goes, I know, let's set this thing up and prove that people are bad. That's the headlines, isn't it? If you think about yeah. it, that is what gets people's attention. That's what we want to read. The scientists that did this were on all the TV shows being interviewed all the time. Oh, no one really wants to hear the kind of boring truth that mm. actually people aren't as extreme as you think. Uh, I definitely recommend the book and it really helped reading it earlier this year at a sort of time when it felt like everyone in the world was evil or no you know everyone in the world was irrational and you're like no Putin maybe Putin's evil (laughs) but you know most people day-to-day life are just doing the best they can with what is available to them yeah it's interesting that's what you just said like about that's the headlines because I just made a note to go back and like talk with you about the media 
And also you said something earlier about social media as a parent. Yeah, the media, like especially at this time, the media wants to tell us bad things. Yeah, that's what we click on, isn't it? So yeah, okay, it's clickbait. Most papers, most news outlets are funded by views, aren't they? They make their money by you reading them. They're not making a lot of money. A lot of them are struggling. They need they need you to read their stuff. So a, a headline that gets your attention is, is a good way to get you to click read, I think. Um, and then there's also, you know, what, what the motivations may be of those certain newsletter outlets. Most of them have got some sort of agenda these days. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, making people feel that the world's generally all right isn't... Isn't, isn't newsworthy. Isn't newsworthy. And it never has been, and that's fine. And obviously there is a lot of stuff going on at the moment that is needs to be reported on because it is bad. But I think it's about definitely as an individual how you manage your exposure to that and I sort of I'm trying to read less daily news I try and read weekly news now because it has a bit more perspective and I think like you say it is remembering that we can control how much we digest or how much we expose ourselves to I think I try and make a choice to focus on the world around me like my my world you know my family and the people I interact with people I see in my work um, that's what I choose to put my focus on. I don't want to disengage. I'm interested. I'm politically engaged. I have opinions. I want to know what's going on in the world. But yeah, then you just do that in a way that it serves me rather than mm. it being a constant thing in my ear about what Boris has done now. Yeah. I've talked to people a lot about, you know, the circles of influence exercise. Mm. I think it's really good for anxiety, but. You know, what are the things you can control? What are the things you can influence? And what are the things that are outside of your control? And I think, you know, definitely with with the war in Ukraine as an example, you know, I, I had to do that for myself. I was like, I can't control any of this. I can't influence any of this. I can make a donation. And I did, and I'll do it again. I can, you know, there's Ukrainian ref- refugees now at, at the school that my son goes to so yeah you know if they need any clothes books anything like that I will do the practical things I can do but I have to not me engaging with this or not engaging with this will not make any difference to the outcome as much as I would like it to so yes that kind of that circles of influence thing I find quite useful for clients and for myself to kind of think where where should I focus my energy this is the stuff that I can control what happens to me to me, my family, the people around me. Mm. I yeah, like, control, like, say, what my son hears about it and how he reacts to it and how that was quite an interesting thought for me. Like, what the, the news cycle is a news cycle, but I need to think about how I filter that through to a five-year-old who I don't want to be... I want him to know what's going on in the world, but I don't want him to be scared and upset and worried about it. So then it becomes about what I control. Okay. Yeah, he just reminded me that when my youngest son, Tommy, was like that kind of age, we agreed that if he needed to worry about something, I'd tell him. That's good. So, you know, he could still have the facts. I can't remember what it would have been. I mean, we're talking 10 years ago. So it was war based because I think he was worried that, oh, it'll have been terrorism, won't it? Yeah, in some form or another. 
And I said to him, yes, these things happen, but we have to keep living our lives because they that's what they want is for us not to, to live our lives, our daily lives. So you keep living your life and I'll tell you if you need to worry. And he still like kind of lives by that at 16. <laughs> what a nice way to live. I really like, wish like that. He says, I just always remember you telling me if I need to worry, you'd tell me. <laughs> I think that's great though, because yeah, if you can trust that someone else to do that for you, you don't need to be looking at it all the time. So, yeah. And I've passed the baton on now to my partner. I don't check the news at all, full stop. I just know that if there's something really desperately important for me to know, he will tell me. Mm-hmm. So that's my little tip on surviving life. <laughs> <laughs> um, Disen- disengage <laughs> and ask your boyfriend <laughs> to fill you in. <laughs> I, I would be interested in the filter I would get the world news through if I went down that route with my partner. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you know, as a coach, as I know as a coach, we tell ourselves stories and people tell themselves stories. What stories have you told yourself in the past? Mm. That's interesting. I do talk about stories a lot because I tend to work with people who work in comms and marketing roles. Um, so they very quickly lock on to that story. And also the, the element you do of making a story fit a narrative which is part of what you do to communicate something powerful is you do, you know, de- delete or dis- not distort, hopefully, if you're, if you're good. But, um, but yeah, you, 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 you create a thread that might be much simpler than would be than the reality of complexity of life. So I think I'm quite aware of doing that and I try to, to be aware. But certainly I told myself stories when I was young of you you know, you should be this, you should, there's lots of shoulds always, you should, you should work hard, you should work out, you should, you know, read the books that have won the literary prizes. Now I don't do that anymore because I never enjoy the books that win the literary lottery prizes. Um, lots of shoulds. What I think I had a lot of ideas in my head about what a successful life looked like mm. and how you would work towards that. And you know, I achieved many of those things and I was happy, but um, I think I try not to tell myself stories now because I realise that stories are not the glorious, messy reality of what we do. Mm. I'm not letting, I'm not letting you off the hook. The stories, stories I used to, I definitely, yeah, stories I told myself that I was, that normally the story when I was younger was, that I wasn't good enough for one reason yeah. or another. There was always more that I needed to do before I would be that person that ticked all the boxes and did all the stuff that you needed to do. Now the stories I tell myself, I can definitely get caught back into that, like the stories of, you know, even at the beginning there where you say, oh, tell your story, there's there's the, the narrative that I have constructed that I tell about why I made the change in my career. And it's true, but obviously it leaves out a certain amount of messy stuff around yeah. the edges, um, which is fine because I don't think you always need to to share everything. To be mm-hmm. honest, 
So yeah, that doesn't, I don't know if that answers your question. I don't really know what stories I tell myself at the moment. Yeah, you did. My life, I'm trying not to get, fall into narratives. I read a lot less fiction than I used to. And I wonder if it is part of that. Oh, really? I kind of, yeah, I used to read so much fiction. I used to love a good book, like a good fiction book. Um, but sometimes now I find them, sometimes I just find them, I, I just don't want to read about nasty people doing nasty things to each other. And there's a lot of books about that at the moment. I'm like, that's not relaxing. But then when I, sometimes when I read other books, I it can all feel too too neat because it's a narrative, isn't it? And it's tied up. So sometimes I, I find nonfiction more interesting. Mm, I have to have both. I read novels as an escape, but I don't want to read novels about nasty people doing nasty things. Mm. And it's interesting because in the book club that I'm in, we've noticed that so many books written recently, last year, year before, about the terrible things that are going on in the world. Yeah. So they're written as fiction, but it is what is going on out there. And it's like, I personally choose fiction as an escape. So yeah, I select very carefully what I read. So if you don't read novels, then what do you do to escape? There's non-fiction and non-fiction, isn't there? So I would choose something that, you know, is fairly, you know, if I was reading 4,000 weeks, I would go and read half an hour of that before I went to bed. Mm. Um, I probably, that's probably something I recognise I don't have enough downtime at the moment, but that's partly because of, again, that perspective thing. I'm in a very particular part time of my life now with with two young children, and I think I have to accept that that is not part of my life. Where I'm going to get a lot of time to read novels, um, so I try and read for half an hour before I go to bed to unwind. Try to be realistic. I don't, you know, I don't keep up with all the TV that everyone's watching. No, um, and I don't listen to all the podcasts that I should do. <laughs> that I'm always sending you. <laughs> I listen to some of them, but other times I'm like, oh, I can't do that. Um, I think my brother sent me one that was three hours long. I was like, I'm not bloody listening to three hours. When, when do you think I've got three hours to listen to a podcast? Like a 10 minute walk to school and back. <laughs> if I can break it into 10 minutes. I'll do it. Um, but I think, you know, again, just giving myself permission to be like, well, that's where I am right now. And that's, it will be okay. different again in a few years. Yeah. Won't it? Reassure me it will be. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can listen to three hour podcasts. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. Like two coaches having a conversation because when you were talking before, you were like, oh, my stories when I was younger was the short. And I was like, oh, I'm not letting her off the hook. I'm digging. Like, what were your shoulds about? But then you answered it yourself. Like, it's that time old favourite of I'm not good enough. Yeah. And there's always something else, isn't there? Like... You know, I was I was doing just fine in my job. That was fine. Mm. Um, so I always had another should. Um, you know, you know, I should lose weight or I should be in a relationship. And then um I remember when so in my mid thirties when we first started trying, I had two miscarriages in quite quick succession. And obviously that was difficult and hard for all sorts of reasons. Um, but there was a, you know, I had to be honest though, there was a big bit of my brain that was like, well, you should, what, what is, you know, what you should be able to do this. You know, this is essentially like that sort of sense of failing at something was, and I had, you know, to be honest with myself that there, there was a bit of that that was just pissed yeah. off that I'd failed at something that I'd tried to do. Yeah. Like you haven't got enough to deal with at that time. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that blaming yourself about it. I know. I think there was a, it's a very female thing, isn't it? I think we all very much like, 
I should do this, I should do that. So yeah, I think I was a bit like, well, how am I being a proper woman if I, my body can't do this? Yeah. And I think we're more aware of those stories in our 40s. Mm. But like the past few days, I've really struggled with, um, I won't use the word should anymore because I'm so, but essentially I was still telling myself you should be doing more you should be taking x y and z action you should 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 and I was listening to an audiobook Robert Holden and Louise Hay called Life Loves You I think and it just made me realize like all that is about me not thinking I'm good enough Mm. so still even with my level of awareness being a coach talking to people about this every day I ended up in it, didn't know I was in it. You never know when you're in it, do you? That's the thing, like you could get sucked. I find, the interesting thing I find about coaching and sort of, it's, it's so weird, isn't it? Because you, you kind of feel like you should be more aware of this stuff, but you're still a human being and you're still dealing with your own stuff. I find a lot of the, um, I really try and push against the pat stuff though, because I think sometimes there can be, and I don't think coaching is about this, but there's that kind of inspiration industry that kind of irritates me slightly sometimes, you know, like it's very easy to post a quote on Instagram of, you know, you can be anything you want to be. Um, and it's like, actually, that's that's not true for everyone. You know, what, what does it mean anyway? What does that mean? Um, and sometimes I think, again, it comes back to this perspective piece, but, you know, sometimes life is just hard and sometimes it is a bit crap and sometimes you will be a bit sad or grumpy or, or struggle with it. And that's okay. And rather than trying to sort of drag yourself out of those, mm-hmm. you you probably need to stay there a bit and go, well, what's going on here? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? How is that? Where's this coming from? Um, which is hard. So yeah, like, and it's it's always hard. Like you can be a coach and still doing that work on yourself is is hard. And yeah, I sort of made a promise to myself when I started coaching that I'd never be, I'd never post anything like that on social media that made people feel crap about themselves. Like because we're all doing the best we can with what we've got available to us. And sometimes the best we can is is just the best we can. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think last night when I went to see my friend and we had a few wines, that's what we kind of came to. It was like, why do I have to try and pull myself out of it? Why do I have to try and feel better? Just accept where I am. And you know what? Like you'll probably, hopefully feel better in a week. I do. No, I feel better this morning. Yeah. From just um, going, I'm not going to try. Yeah. Probably from stopping beating yourself up for feeling like you should be feeling something. You take the pressure off yourself, it suddenly gets easier, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and stopping judging myself. And like you say, we're coaches, but we're human. I'm very fucking human. <laughs> <laughs> totally human last time I checked. So to finish up. I was just going to finish. It, it goes back again though to like good enough is good enough doesn't it but you know accepting that sometimes life is hard and you can't do everything and I can't be a perfect mother and a high-flying exec some people can I can't I can't be a good enough mother and a high-flying executive and someone who remembers everyone's birthday and bakes cakes for the PTA set like I can't do it all <laughs> Are you talking about my cooking? No, that was me making a puking noise. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and it's not, maybe you can do all those things, but maybe you don't want to. Well, yes, that's the point, isn't it? You can do anything, but not everything. And God, I think I'd I'd just be exhausted and fall over if I was trying to do all of that. Mm. Something would give somewhere. 
probably and it would probably be my own mental health well yeah and you probably wouldn't be happy so what advice would you give to your younger self and you can pick what age younger self that is I think I would go back and I would say to myself in my 20s just calm down chill out like it'll be okay stop being so hard on yourself Mm. and I would hope that 80 year old me would probably come back and say to 40 mid 40s me don't be so hard on yourself I hope as I get older I will just gradually get easier on myself so that's interesting. Again, you you, answer, you answered the question before I'd asked you it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So 40-year-old you to 20-year-old you says, calm down, chill, be nice to yourself, be kind to yourself. Yeah. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. But 80-year-old you is also saying that to you. I think I, think I definitely recognise that I could be less hard on myself now. I'm more aware of it than I was. I question it more. I have more perspective. I have more. I have more sense of it now than I did. But I definitely haven't worked it all out yet. So I really hope that eighty-year-old me will be drinking gin, wearing purple, living the life of Riley. This I've got a lot of plans for my retirement. Uh, <laughs> I love them all. Yeah, mostly the gin, right? Mm. And she will be sort of saying to forty-year-old me, yeah, "Don't be so hard on yourself." It'll have, work out. Have a gin. Have a gin. I mean, it's it's eleven thirty in the morning right now, Ruth. I'm, I'm not gonna have a gin right now. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boring. I'll tell you that's another thing about getting older. I can't handle my alcohol like I used to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going all coach on your ass now. If you realise that eight year old self is saying to you, be kind to yourself, don't be so hard on yourself. Mm. What are you gonna do about that today? today um one action one insight go oh you know I, I try I do try I think I try and plan my days so that I am not pushing too hard on myself so I'm going to um after I finish this call you know I've been for a swim this morning so I feel like amazing I've done well done. Thursday is I take the child for a hot chocolate after I pick him up from after school club so that Jeez. would be nice so just kind of like little things in the day that bring me back to to what it is and yeah I will do do my work for the day move stuff forward um I absolutely love the the three good things exercise and I often go back to that when I feel myself being hard on myself so just at the end of the day you write down three things that went well or that you did that you you think were good and I often go back to that and I'm sort of don't like these days I just do it in my head but like every day I think you know what went well today what were the good things today okay I think normally there's enough that I can not be too hard on myself but there may be one thing that didn't like I didn't take off the to-do list just one well you're doing fucking better than me <laughs> I'm just quite protective about what I write on my to-do list <laughs> I've been rethinking lists I try not to do them at all or I do them at the start of the week and then decide three things that I'm going to do each day or I don't like I'm I'm playing around with that idea which I know will blow your mind because you love tick, ticking lists and I do I put all sorts of I I do the same though I do a weekly list a weekly color-coded list and then I'll just pick the stuff off at the end of each day of what I'm going to put on the list for the next day but I put all sorts of stuff on the list so I can tick it off yeah I'm you totally do that. do you draw a little box and put a tick in it um, so I have a nice pad that has has tick box, has tick boxes. So yeah, 
I will sometimes, if I do something that's not on the list, I write it on the list just so I can take it off. Amazing. There you go. That's my sad confession. No, no, no. I've got, (laughs) I've, I can't remember when it was, stuff for social media. And one of them was just a a quote that said, today's status, writing things on my to-do list just so I can take them off. I think I saw that and liked it because I was like, yeah, I do that. <laughs> I do that. There's nothing wrong with that. No. It's part of like, it's part of recognising what you've achieved and what you have done. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I definitely find that by recognising what I have done is a more positive thing than just writing a load of lists. I often say to my coaching clients, how you do things is as important as what you do so that's why the three good things is as good as looking at a ticked off to-do list because maybe oh I had a good conversation with someone doesn't feel like a massive achievement but like you say there's always the ripples and it's how you want to work and how you want to be in the world is as important as what you're ticking off your to-do list think about how I've been in the world as much as what I think of my to-do list yeah I like that yeah I'm stealing that So finish up with your favourite like personal development resource, tip, hint, whatever you want. I I think I just try, I mean, I, I read a lot. That tends to be what I do because I can do that out and about. Again, maybe in years gone past, I was like, there was going to be that one book or that one insight that was going to make everything make sense. Yeah. Um, and actually <clears throat> having read a lot of books now, as you know, like actually you'd be surprised how much the same stuff comes up again and again and again. So I think it's really important to keep learning, to keep out looking out there, to keep trying to find out as much as you can about, you know, the world and how, what makes sense to you. But there is also something very important about knowing yourself on the best personal development you can do is that self-awareness. So mm. just kind of sitting with things and being like, what is going on here? Why am I thinking this? Why am I thinking? And that's definitely something I have had to practice over the years. It doesn't like I'm, I don't think I'm naturally a really introspective person. I'm naturally somebody who wants to move on to the next thing. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. So for me, the best personal development I can do is just to kind of stop and think and be like, yeah, what's going on here? What are you thinking? What is the story you're telling yourself in this situation? Yeah. Um, is that true? Is it not true? What evidence do you have? <laughs> um, is it helpful? <laughs> is it helpful? All the, all the coaching questions. But yeah, quite honestly, from a personal development point of view, that is, mm. that is what is making the most impact for me in my life day on day. Yeah, I love that because I had a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago and that's what I said to her, like, you just need to lie on your bre- bed, put your hand on your heart and breathe and find out what it is, especially as a mom and busy lives we tend to just kind of feel things and go oh oh shit and then do the next thing and and then all of a sudden you know you're in a bad mood or you've taken something out on somebody and you don't even really know why taking that time to check in with yourself doesn't take that long and can just point you in the right direction can't it yeah what a brilliant note to finish on just just dropping out the genius advice like no bother no bother totally oh, I think <laughs> you're bringing it out mate <laughs> awesome so you're working as a coach now Ruth I am yes so I I'm an executive coach so I specialize in working with sort of senior and developing leaders to help people feel calmer confident and in control of their working lives and do you just do one-to-one work? No, I do one-to-one work is my focus. I tend to work with senior, 
senior people. Um, but I also do a group coaching program for kind of developing leaders in marketing and comms. So that runs for six months, twice a year. Um, and that's wonderful because you're getting to work with people who are sort of really developing in their careers and ready to take the next step. Um, I tend to start in May and November. So we do two two hours a month for six months uh, with a small group. So we we look at all those, the non-technical side of being a leader. So it's sort mm. of all that self-confidence, working with other people, presence, rapport, how you... I think I might sign up. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be very welcome. <laughs> it sounds perfect for me. So where can people find out about that? Uh, on my website, Ruth. <laughs> What's your website, Ruth? ruthkrichards.co.uk Amazing. Excellent. And are you on social at all? Uh, I am on Twitter and I am on LinkedIn. It's most active on there, so yes, feel free to search, just search Ruth Richards and give me a follow. I try and oh. share. I think I'm very conscious of always trying to be useful um, or at least a little bit interesting on, on LinkedIn. <laughs> I can confirm you're a bit more than a little bit. So. <laughs> you get a bit more random parenting stuff on Twitter, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when you did post on Facebook, my mum got confused and thought you were me. <laughs> I know. That was so lovely. That was like, oh, congratulations. You worked so hard. And I was like, I don't know who you are, but you're lovely. But you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I had to message my mum going, just look at the picture. It's the wrong roof. <laughs> <laughs> but you're wonderfully supportive, mum. But do you know what I look like? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that made me laugh. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Ruth. Um, It's been lovely talking to you and go and enjoy the sunshine. I will. Thank you. Do get in touch if you've got any feedback about the podcast, if you've got any questions about the stuff that we talked about, or even just to say hi. I'm at Ruthie underscore rises at Instagram. You can also drop me an email at ruth at daretorise.co.uk. So I hope you have a lovely weekend and I look forward to sharing another episode with you very soon. Bye.